Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to tonight's teaching. We're actually, we have finished about five weeks, I believe, in the study of Esther. And we've we just gone through the, we've had an awesome time in the season, season of Purim, haven't we? Well, guess what? We're not leaving Purim quite yet. Uh, tonight, we're, the teaching is entitled Bridging the Gap Between Purim and Passover. Amen? Amen? Bridging the Gap. So over the last five weeks or so, we've been studying about the Feast of Purim uh, through the book of Esther, through Megillat Esther. And now we're going to transition to the Feast of Passover. I don't know about you, but I often have a difficult time transitioning from one feast to the next. Because as we go through a feast, we come to a high. And we, we, we come to a climax. And then it feels like we get to a lull when we start the next feast. And what I've learned is it shouldn't be in that manner. Because we go from one glory to the next glory. Amen? Our salvation is going from glory to glory to glory. And we, we can't go into Passover without experiencing the fullness of Purim. Your, your Passover will not be complete unless you experience the fullness of Purim. Amen? Amen. So tonight we're going to begin our transition. Bridging the gap between Purim and Passover. Both feasts are intertwined by their miracles, yet they are different in nature. Now, in the book of Esther, which we just completed last week. Actually, we're not really done with Esther yet. But in the book of Esther, what type of miracles do you see happening? I'll ask, I'll ask you the question with an A and B option. Option A, God's open miracles. Option B, God's hidden miracles. How many of you say option A? B, and you're right, sister. God's, oh, God's, we see God's hidden miracles, right? I almost said closed miracles, but we see God's hidden miracles. And throughout Megillat Esther, how many times do you read the word God? One time? Zero. Zero. So, so you've got 100% so far. That's awesome. So, Thank you. So, so God's name is not mentioned at all. You can go through the entire Megillat from first chapter all the way to the end. God's name is not mentioned at all. But his name is implied. So we, uh, so, but God orchestrated all the events for the sake of the Jewish people and to save them from extermination through the hands of the wicked Mordecai. I'm mean, not Mordecai, sorry, Haman. It was actually righteous Mordecai that was used to save the people. Yeah. All right. So, so we, we 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 see God moving behind the scenes. Often when I'm in the book of Esther, I th- I, I I I always imagine an imaginary chessboard. And we, we see all these pieces moving. We see the king, the queen on both sides of the board. We see the pawns. We see the knights. We see the bishops. And we see uh, we, we see the, the rooks. We see all these pieces moving. But guess who's in control of the board? God is in control. And the wicked Haman is, is trying to motivate the king to annihilate all the Jewish people. But And Haman, not knowing it, God is already at work. And God's plan is to save the Jews from extermination. And at the very end, guess what takes place? Haman and his sons are hung on the gallows. So that's that's um, you know just a, uh, just a quick summary of the book of Esther. But in in contrast, in the book of Exodus, we see God's open miracles, right? We see God God's miraculous power demonstrated in the open. We see God breaking the rules of nature to perform great miracles. We see the parting of the Red Sea. I don't know why we call it the Red Sea. It wasn't the Red Sea that God parted. It was it was known as the Sea of Reeds. And if you look at this, the the, the Red Sea, um, you know, coming along the side of Egypt, the part of the area that the Israelites crossed was way up near the top in the north. And that area was that water was known as the Sea of Reeds, but for some reason we all call it the Red Sea, and our Bibles call it the Red Sea as well. But it, it wasn't the Red Sea. It, it's the correct answer. I mean, to be very uh, exact, it was the Sea of Reeds. And when they crossed the Sea of Reeds, they didn't cross from one bank to the other bank. They actually just made a. It's almost like they just made a um, a. a, a um, uh, almost like a U-turn, but yeah, they uh, a rainbow pattern. They basically entered at one point of a bank, went through the water, and came out higher on, on the same bank. So the same, and so but when the, when the when the Egyptians came into the sea with the chariots, God, that that's where they drowned. And when God split the sea, according to a midrash, God split the sea into ten lanes. 
one lane for each of the tribes. So, uh, uh, the uh, how many tribes do we have of Israel? Twelve. twelve sorry, I said ten. Uh, tw the twelve, the twelve tribes. So there were twelve lanes that the Jews crossed through. And so we see an open demonstration of God's miraculous power. We see, I mean, we can't deny the power of God. And some commentaries say that God split the seas of the entire world uh, when that miracle took place. And the fear of God fell upon the entire known world of, of that time. So it was, it was a tremendous open demonstration of the power of God. Pharaoh could not deny God's power. Nobody could deny God's power because it was openly demonstrated. Now, if we go back to the, that all took place in the first month. But if you go back to the 12th month, the 12th month, the month of Adar, is the month of, of Purim. And in that month, we see God's hidden miracles. We don't see God coming out saying, here I am. We don't see the seven clouds of God's glory. We don't see the open demonstration of God's power. But yet God is moving behind the scenes. And without God's involvement, the Jews would have been eliminated. Even when you look at the events of, uh, that took place uh, with the regime of the Nazis, led by Hitler, we don't see an open demonstration of God's power, but God was moving behind the scenes. Amen? Amen. So, but, and, and which, which, say, which saved the Jews from extermination. God is always moving on behalf of his people. Amen? Amen. And tonight, we're going to actually bridge both feasts together because you can't, you can't go finish Purim and then next week jump into Passover. There needs to be a, a bridge between both feasts because the, tw the 12th month is the month of Adar, and this year in the Hebrew calendar, 5779, we've had two Adars, Adar 1, Adar 2, 13 months this year, and in, in Adar 2 is when we celebrated Purim, and now we are transitioning into Passover, all right? And we're going to see God, a demonstration of God's open power, his open miracles, and we're going to bridge that gap between Purim and Passover. And what I encourage you to do is, as, you, as we study the Bible, is always try to relate what you're studying with the Hebrew feast that we're, we're in. God introduces us to the feast in Leviticus chapter 23. And these are feasts of the Lord. So, you know, we, we, we've, we've completed Purim in the month of Adar. Now we're entering into the feast of Passover, or as we say in Hebrew, Pesach, in, during the month of Nisan. Nisan is the name of the first month. And then the, after Nisan, we come to Iyar, which is a transition month. Then the third month is the month of Sivan. And the month of Sivan, the third month, is significant because that's the month of Shavuot or Pentecost. Amen? That's the month in which God delivered the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. And another miracle is when, when Jesus was crucified and resurrected during the Feast of Passover, during the month of Nisan. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, how many days did he walk on the earth? You all say it together. Forty days. Can you say forty days? And then after forty days, Jesus ascended to heaven. Right? We see that in Acts chapter 1. Now, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from, from upon high. How many days did Jesus tell the disciples to, to stay in Jerusalem? Ten, Ten days, right? Yeah. So uh, Jesus <coughs> walked on the earth for how many days? After, uh, uh, amen, after resurrection. Then he, he ascended to heaven. Then the disciples gathered for how many days? Yeah. Forty plus ten is what? Yeah. And that's the day we call Pentecost. So, and the Holy Spirit descended in the upper room on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost. Well, that Pentecost that took place in Acts wasn't the very first Pentecost. The very first Pentecost took place thousands of years earlier when the Israelites gathered on the sixth day of Sivan, the sixth day of the sixth of the third month, the sixth day of the third month, and God came down upon Mount, on, upon Mount Sinai and proclaimed the Ten Commandments. That was Shavuot, means weeks. But what, what the Jews call Shavuot, which is the, uh, the, the proper name, in, in, the, we have called it Pentecost, after the Greek name, meaning 50th. The day in which God gave the Ten Commandments, 
the day in which the Israelites became a nation is the very anniversary of when the church was born in the upper room in Jerusalem. It's the very same anniversary. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you all is I, I don't want you to think there are any inconsistent anything inconsistent between the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures. Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis through Malachi. New Testament Scriptures, Matthew all the way through Revelation. Amen? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't believe in multiple gods. We believe in one God. We believe that we believe that God is Trinity. He's three persons, yet He is one God, yeah. right? Yes. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Hebrew Scriptures is merciful, and the God of the New Testament is merciful as well. God is very slow to execute judgment, very slow, but very quick to extend His mercy. I don't know about you, but I I, I love that. Amen. 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 I, I like it that God is so slow to judge me. Not meaning I'm going to take advantage of that grace, but I, I'm so grateful that God is so patient with me. Now, we may all, I mean, not many of us are perfect like Brother Ed, but some of us, like me, need a lot of help, and we need God to be very patient with us. And I'm so glad God is so merciful and patient with us. And I also want to take this time to thank Dr. Michelle Corral for just giving us the privilege to gather here tonight. Without her, we would not have this Torah class, and all the Torah that I've learned is is is, is because of her. Amen. So just, we, we 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 honor the woman of God tonight. So to, there is one theme that bridges the gap between Purim and Passover. Do you know what that what that theme is, Doctor Vicky? The theme is. Redemption. I intentionally did not put it in the newsletter this week. I said you're going to have to come here tonight to learn what it, what it means. But it is the theme of redemption that builds the bridge between, between Purim and Passover. We have completed the 12th month. Now we are entering to the first month. The Hebrew calendar has 12 months. In our Gregorian calendar, we have 12 months as well, but the difference is the Hebrew calendar is, is lunar-based. The Gregorian calendar, our Western calendar, is based upon the sun. And in the redemption of Purim, we were still under the control of Ahasuerus, the, 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 the king of the Persian Empire. In contrast, during the Feast of Passover, the redemption of actually in the in Purim, we're still under the control of Ahasuerus. He was king at the beginning. He was king at the end. And the one thing about Purim is, it's everything is reversible. And I'm going to explain this concept in just a moment. Just because you ascend to a victory doesn't mean that you you, you cannot descend to a defeat. All right, that's Purim because everything's reversible. In contrast, the redemption of Passover because both months in their corresponding feast, in the respective feast, both have redemption components. The redemption in Purim is, is, rever is reversible, but in contrast, the redemption in Passover is irreversible. Can you say that with me? The, the redemption of Passover is irreversible. It cannot be undone. It's forever. Amen. But Purim, amen, don't you love that? And that's all because of the cross of Yeshua. Because of the cross of Jesus. Yes. You know, uh, those of you that attended last night, Dr. Mm -hmm. Corral talked about the cross mm -hmm. and how the cross or the tree was first introduced on the third day of creation in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. And then in Esther, when you read about the gallows, if you go back to the Hebrew text, so, and I would encourage you all to add the Masoteric text to your studies of the Word of God. I just go to qbible.com and I, because uh, it's, it's a, just a bit quicker for me. Go to qbible.com. Go, go, go to the text in Esther where it talks about the gallows. And it doesn't say gallows in the Hebrew text. It actually uses the word tree. So we see the cross in Genesis 1. We see the, cross, we, no, we see the tree in Genesis 1. We see the tree in, in Esther. And guess what? We see Jesus was crucified on the tree. Amen? Because the cross is made from wood, which is from a tree. All right? 
that was a hidden code that God intentionally placed within the scriptures. So, Purim, reversible. Passover, irreversible. I like one, one word, two word notes as I'm going through. Now, I want to talk to you about a principle called, and I'm, this is terminology that I made up, I'm calling it the teeter-totter principle. How many of you have ever played on a teeter-totter or a seesaw? It's the same thing. All right? So I want you to imagine this. This side of the room is just in the center. You're the pivot point. On Pastor Fallow's side, you're, you're one side, and on this side, you're, you're on the other side of the teeter-totter. So when one goes down, one group goes down, the other group goes up. When, when you push down, this group goes down. Well, guess what? You come up. That is a principle that we see throughout the Word of God. I encourage you in your studies is really pay attention to the teeter-totter principle. I know it sounds a little bit funny, but it, it's going to really help you understand the Word of God and really help you to understand where we are in human history. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. Genesis 25, verse 23. I'm going to ask Dr. Vicky if you'll come to the front, please. And we're going to read this all together along with Dr. Vicky. When you have it, please say amen. And if you're watching online, I encourage you to turn with us. Genesis 25, verse 23. Ready, begin. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elders shall serve the younger. Thank you. Now I want to give you I want to give you a little background. You may want to look at the previous scriptures because we want to interpret the word within context. What took place here is Rebecca was pregnant with two, two with two, with twin sons, Esau and Jacob, and there was such a struggle that was taking place in her womb that she actually she actually went to the um, the, the school of Shem and Eber. And, and they, they gave her a prophetic word. And the prophetic word that they gave her was that, that two nations are in your womb, two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. Right? right. And so if you read the story, we know that the, 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 the babe that came out first was Esau. And the one that came out second was Jacob, who was the younger. And the prophecy given to Rebecca was, the younger shall serve, I'm sorry, the elder shall serve the younger. So Esau shall serve Jacob. And it's a war between good and evil. We're going to see some, we're going to see Amalek, who's who's the grandson of Esau, come through that bloodline. And through Jacob, I mean through Jacob, we see the 12 tribes of Israel. And, we, and in the future, we see Esther and Mordecai, but we see two different peoples that came forth from the womb of Rebekah. And the younger will serve the elder. So guess what happens? when If this side is Esau, when Esau descends, guess what happens? Jacob will ascend. But they'll never be at a level, play, a level playing field. When one ascends, the other will descend. Yeah. And how does, one, how does Israel ascend? Israel ascends when they walk in the ways of God, when they obey the Torah, when they practice the feast, when they obey the commandments of God, when they serve him wholeheartedly, guess what takes place? Jacob, Israel, will, will ascend. But whenever they fall into sin, whenever they fall into idolatry, and you'll see that throughout the kings of Israel, especially with the northern kingdom, but we see, we see it with both kingdoms, whenever they fall into sin, guess what happens? then Amalek will ascend. Esau will increase and Israel will decrease. Yeah. So it's this, it's this teeter-totter principle that will continue. Th- these days will not come to an end until Messiah comes back. All right? So the elder will serve the younger. Can you say it with me? The elder will serve the younger. Now we're going to talk about a little more about Jacob and Esau. After Jacob fled and Jacob spent many years in Syria um, under... Uh, with, with Laban, and then after so many years, he left Laban's house. And what took place afterwards was Jacob reunited with Esau. 
And something took place, there's another prophetic message given in Genesis 33, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. Genesis 33, verses 12 through 14. And I'll, I'll go ahead and read. I'll, I'll go ahead and read this one, but I'm just going to pull out uh, parts of it. Uh, verse 12. And th- this is Esau speaking. Esau speaking to Jacob. The elder is speaking to the younger, and we know that the elder will serve the younger. But at this point, the elder is stronger, at least physically stronger. And in verse 12, it says, "And he said, Let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before thee." So what Esau is saying, let's walk together, but I will go before you. And he said unto him, this is Jacob speaking, verse 13, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and the herd with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. And then verse 14, Jacob says, he's speaking to Esau, Let my Lord, I pray thee, Pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly. Can you say, lead on softly? softly. According as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure, until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. So what's taking place here, this is a prophetic message for all time. And at this time, Israel is still a very young nation. They're still very small in number. And what Jacob says to Esau, or what he prophesies to Esau is, you go on ahead of me, and I will catch up to you later. And really what he's saying, I I will overtake you later. But he's saying that we are still very young. But, but, But prophetically is saying that Israel will arise. And Israel will overcome the wickedness of Esau. And this is the concept of the teeter-totter principle. When one decreases, the other increases. Yeah. When one decreases, or vice versa as well. And in the end, Jacob will triumph. Yeah. And we'll, we see this teeter-totter principle in effect in the book of Esther. We're going to see it with the conflict between Haman and Mordecai. Now when you look at Mordecai and, and Haman... You know, uh, Haman being the villain and Mordecai being the hero. I mean, at a simple level of reading, everybody can enjoy the book of Esther because you see good versus evil. And it's a a story that's very easy to follow at the surface level of the reading. At the shot shot reading of the text, it's very easy to follow. And look what's taking place here. Haman is an Agagite. He's of the descendants of the Amalekites. Amalek is the grandson of Esau, right? So we see that evil bloodline. And I can't say Esau is all evil because a lot of righteous people came through the bloodline of Esau. But I want to focus only on the bloodline of uh, of the Amalekites. So we have Haman of the Amalekites. And then we have Mordecai. Mordecai is a descendant that goes all the way back to Jacob, right? Yeah. Esther and Mordecai were descendants of the tribe, the royal tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin was the youngest son of, of the union between Jacob and Rachel. And the anointing of Benjamin was to eradicate the memory of Amalek. I'm not going to talk much about Amalek tonight. Uh, just go back to the, the teachings from the last five weeks. You can find them all on YouTube uh, on the Destined for sorry, Destined for Torah channel, or you can find it on, on my Facebook page as well. So look what takes place here in Esther chapter 5, verse 9. Then went Haman forth that day joyful, with a glad heart. You know, because the king had promoted Haman. Ahasuerus had promoted Haman. So he's going forth joyfully with gladness in his heart. But when Haman sees Mordecai in the king's gate, that stood not up, which means he did not pay honor, he did not give reverence to Haman, nor move for him. He was full of indignation against Mordecai. So Haman hates Mordecai with a, with, with a, with a horrifying hatred. 
and this warfare will continue until the end of time. So, so we 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 we've seen we've seen Haman being exalted, and Mordecai is what appears to be decreasing at this point. Yeah. Now let's turn to Esther chapter three. We're going to go back a little bit. Esther chapter three, verse ten. I'm saying Esther chapter three, verse one, verse five, and verse ten. Mm-hmm. So look what's taking place here. Let's read this text together. One, two, three. After these things. Did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him? Let's pause there. So what we see here is Haman is being exalted. See, he's going up on the teeter-totter. Well, guess what happens? When Haman goes up, Mordecai goes down. You all see that? Mm-hmm. I forget that song. I was thinking about that, that song about giants. They fall down. Yeah. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to sing it to you. Believe that for Ed. But uh, what we see here, Haman, Haman is going up. Well, guess what? The higher he goes, the harder he's going to fall, and the faster he's going to fall. Right? So Haman. So sometimes God will allow evil to triumph because of the great defeat that's going to take place ahead. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for that, because your enemies are going to fall beneath your feet. Amen. And all of creation is subject to Christ Jesus. That everything will fall under his feet. Amen? amen. So, amen. So, so Haman is arising at this time. Esther chapter 3. And Mordecai appears to be decreasing. I mean, look at what it says here. It doesn't just say the king promoted him. It go, it, it, it's like the word of God is rubbing it in. It's like promote Haman. Then it says advanced him. Well, doesn't promote mean the same thing as advancement? So we, 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 see, we, we see promotion. We see advancement. And not only that, it goes a little bit further and says, and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. It's like three areas where it's just like it's being rubbed in. Look, I, I'm promoted. I mean, imagine you, you go to work and you, you go into your boss's office and you come out with a promotion. And you go out and tell everybody, well, guess what? My, our boss promoted me. And guess what? My bo- our boss advanced me. And guess what? A little further, he set my seat above all of your seats. Amen. And that's, that's, what, that's what's taking place here. Haman is just rubbing it in. And actually, the word of God is rubbing it in. And he's going higher and higher and higher. And I believe the Lord is allowing this to happen to, to show us the great fall that he's going to experience. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, Haman was full of wrath. See, Mordecai would refuse to bow before Haman. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go back to the scripture here, but do you all remember when Jacob and his family came face to face with Esau? Yeah. Right? It was at the, the morning after the battle with, with, the, with the angel. And as and, and as they were approaching, every uh, Jacob broke his family into multiple camps, and each camp came before Esau and bowed down. Well, every son of Jacob bowed down before Esau, except for one. And the one son that did not bow down before Esau, because remember, Amalek is the grandson of Esau, and Haman is a descendant of the Amalekites. So they all bowed down. I can see Margaret smiling. She knows the answer. They all bowed down except for Benjamin. And the the question you should ask is, why didn't he bow down? He wasn't born yet. But the the rabbis credit Benjamin for refusing to bow down before before Esau. And that, that, that anointing, that strength, that Gevorah was passed down through the bloodline of Benjamin. And so we see it demonstrated in Mordecai, he refused to bow down before Haman. He would not bow down before evil. Now some some rabbis say that that Haman wore an emlet or something, or had an embroidered idol on his garments, and that's one reason why he bowed not. He he didn't bow down. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I do believe is, Ham, I mean, it was it was within Mordecai's DNA to never bow down before Amalek, Amen. and he did not do it in reverence. Amen. 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 
And so, and then verse 10 it, 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 of Esther chapter 3, And the king took his ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. So the scripture is already telling us that this Haman is the enemy of the Jewish people. So we see this increase, increase, increase. Well, guess what? In your life, where you keep seeing the enemy prospering, you, you see evil um, promote, uh, uh, flourishing, and you keep seeing yourself being pushed down, mm. I encourage you to continue to be faithful because, because of the teeter-totter principle. Guess what? The higher the enemy goes, the, the harder he's going to fall. Amen? Amen? But we see now we see the tables turned. Now we're going to see the other side of the chessboard. Esther chapter 6, verse 10. I'm going to call up Dr. Vicki if you'll read Esther chapter 6, verse 10 to us all. Now we're going to see the tables turned, Haman's going to decrease, and Mordecai will increase. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Awesome. This is one of my this is one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Megillah Esther because you know we, we've shared this many times already. But what, what took place here for those of you that are new to Torah tonight is um, the king could not sleep one night in Esther chapter six, and then who happens to be walking in the courtyard? It's Haman, and and then the king sets up Haman, uh, sets up Haman to fall into his trap. And the king says to Haman, what should I do for the one the king wants to honor? And Haman says, who would the king want to honor more than me? So Haman says, let him be placed upon the king's horse. May he be given the king's apparel. May he be given the king's crown. You know, it goes on and on and on and on. And then here comes the punchline. The king tells Haman, do exactly what you said and do it to Mordecai. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? See, the tables are turning. See, we often look at Ahasuerus as, as a dumb leader. We see him as a passive leader. We see him as someone that's not really involved. But I would, I would argue the opposite is true. The king was brilliant. And yes, he had his shortcomings, but I think he was a brilliant king nevertheless. Yeah. And he could see right through Haman's persona. He saw right through Haman's hunger for power. Yeah. It took him time. It took him time to figure out Esther, but he discerned Haman uh, fairly quickly. Now, 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 let, now we see the tables turn. Now we see Mordecai ascending, and we see Haman descending. Yeah. Haman, the Amalekite, and Mordecai, a descendant of Jacob. Yeah. Jacob ascending, Esau descending. Do you see where I'm going with this? I want you to take this concept. And apply it to all of your biblical studies. Because it will really help you understand the role of Jewish people in human history. There have been so many peoples that have tried to eradicate the Jewish people. And anti-Semitism anti -Semitism is on the rise again. Yeah. And it's a spirit that we have to fight in yes. every single generation. Yes. Amen? Because yes. we have to fight. We have to constrain that spirit in every single generation. It's a, it's, it's a senseless hatred. Yeah. And so what we see here is now the tables are turned, Haman is decreasing, and God is elevating Mordecai. And we look at Esther chapter 8, verse 1. The king Ahasuerus, in Hebrew is Ahasuerus, gave the house of Haman the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen. Now Esther is also a descendant of Benjamin. Esther is a cousin of Mordecai. Then Mordecai came to the king, and Esther had told what he, he was to her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. See, now, now, now Mordecai receives the king's ring. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So what we're seeing is, we're seeing Jacob ascending, and we see Esau diminishing. Yeah. And it goes on in verse 7, and Haman was hung upon the gallows, hanged upon the gallows. Yeah. Verse 9, 
Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month. Now I want to, and that is the month of Sivan. Now one thing very interesting here is, it says the king's scribes. When you think about when you think about scribes, what comes to your mind? Writing, right? And what month did it take place? In the third month. And the name of the third month on the Hebrew calendar is the month of Sivan. So we see writing and we see Sivan. Well, guess what? During the Feast of Shavuot, which is the feast after Passover, guess what takes place? God gave Moses two tablets with the Ten Commandments inscribed upon both stones. See, nothing that we read in the Bible is there as coincidence. It is there by divine design. <laughs> Every letter, every word of the Word of God is like a polished gemstone. Everything is designed that way by intention. And every stone, especially a diamond, you look at it at different angles, the light's a little different, and the colors may be a little bit different. Well, guess what? The Word of God is, is like polished stones. Polished stones. Amen? So what we see here is, is, a, is a prophetic parallel to God giving the Ten Commandments during the, feast of, during the Feast of Shavuot. And guess what took place in the book of Acts? When the Holy Spirit descended into the upper room and filled every one of the 120 believers, guess what took place? Now the Holy Spirit was writing the commandments upon the hearts of the people. So not upon tablets of stone, but now in our flesh, in our hearts. Amen? So now we fulfill the commandments of the Lord by the Spirit of God. Now there are two types of commandments, and this is where, where many Christians struggle. God gave ten commandments on Mount Sinai, and the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, contains six 113 commandments. The 613 commandments apply to the Jewish people only. So if you're a converted, if you had converted to Judaism, well, guess what? The 613 commandments, 365 positive. Actually, I think I may have it reversed. It may be 240. It's 248 of one and 365 of the other. And I think there's 248 positive. But I'm going to ask someone to confirm that for me. 248 positive, and 365 negative. So we have more negative than we have positive. Negative means not negative and positive, um, electrons and protons. Negative means thou shalt not. Positive means thou shalt. So thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that a positive or a negative commandment? Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Negative, exactly. You shall, on, you shall honor your mother and father. Positive. Get it? So there are 248 positive and 365 negative, giving us a total of 613 commandments. Now, for all believers on the earth, we are under the seven Noahide laws, which were the seven commandments given to Noah, and that applies to all to, to the entire world. That that includes not having any, to not commit idolatry, to not commit adultery. Uh, and, the, and the, there's uh, several other laws too, such as keeping a system of law and justice. And so, w when and then which of Jesus' disciples, actually the one that was grafted in later, Paul, the apostle Paul's ministry was mainly to the Gentiles, right? Yeah. So Paul never became a Christian, but he was always a Jew. He was up. He was of the sect of Jews called the Pharisees. Yeah. And his ministry, he was commissioned to take the gospel to the non-Jews. And then Paul had disagreement with Peter because Peter said that the, that the, the, the non-Jewish believers would have to perform all the Jewish commandments. Yeah. That included circumcision, that included eating kosher. And, and, and Paul challenged him and, and told him no, that he, he and this, uh, this came to be part of the law, you know, came to be part, the agreement was that the, the, the Christians or the non-Jewish believers would, be, would, would not be required to be under all 613 commandments. Yeah. It would be well enough if they keep seven Noah head laws. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
So, so, so when you're reading the scriptures, you also need to know which pair of lenses to put on. Is the commandment being given to the Jews, or is the commandment being given to the, the, the non-Jewish believers? Right? Because yeah. we are grafted in through Yeshua, through Jesus. Yeah. Amen? We are grafted in, and we become part of the vine. And the gospel is first to the Jews and then to the non-Jews. We need to understand that order, and it applies from Genesis through, through Revelation. Yeah. Like, for example, would you say that Job was Jewish? Job. Actually, no. He was a Gentile. He was a Gentile. And I believe Job is the oldest book in the Bible, even older than the first five books of the Bible. You know that? Awesome. Sister Margaret? That would make sense because his friends were very Jewish. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The friends he was hanging out with. (laughs) So as we come back to, and you're going to see me jump around a lot tonight, so hope you can stay with me. So we see... We see Haman decreasing, we, we see Mordecai increasing, and God's promoting a promotion after promotion after promotion. And guess what? The promotions that Mordecai received were, 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 were much more than what Haman received. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. You can apply that in your life as well, too. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And look at, I mean, verse 15 of chapter 8. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white. And with a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. And this just reminds me of the book of Revelation, how, how, how God clothed the believers. And they were wearing white linen, and, and how, I mean, how they were just so purified. Yeah. And it's through your, the persecution, it's through the trials that you go through. And it's about you being faithful even unto the death is when God brings promotion in your life. Yeah. Promotion is not to say, well, I'm going to be promoted so now I can have more money. Yeah, money will come, wealth will come, but that is not what we're to pursue. We're to, we are to pursue the kingdom of God. Amen? Yeah. We are to pursue holiness. We are to pursue bringing our evil inclinations into subjection to the Spirit of God. We are to pursue righteous thinking. We are to pursue righteous speech. We are to pursue walking in brotherly kindness. Amen? Amen. To turn the other cheek. To give others the benefit of the doubt. And not revenging our enemies. Amen? Amen. Is it easy? Not at all. I wish it were easy. But you know what, God? If it were easy, it wouldn't be a test. It, because God gives us the grace to handle every single situation. Amen? Amen? And guess what? When you fail the test, well, guess what? God gives us unlimited retakes. It's not really unlimited, but we get many, many opportunities to retake the exam. And sometimes I ask the Lord, Lord, when am I going to pass this test? When am I going to pass this test? And I encourage you all to even ask the Lord, Lord, what, what rewards are coming to me for passing these tests? Because every with every test that you pass, there's a reward coming. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Now, you may be tired of me talking about my nephew in India, but with every test that he does well in, guess, with, every time he comes home with good grades, guess what? We have gifts for him. Yeah. So so he, he's, he, he's ready, and he's already told us everything that he wants. Yeah. And he, he gets everything that he wants. And if you want, I'll give you his address because he, 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 he's more than ready to receive your... No, I'm joking. His mom would probably kill me for saying that. But, but um, he, 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 loves, he loves the gifts. Yeah. Well, don't you love gifts as well? Yeah. I, mean, we should, I mean, we should expect good things from God. Amen? We should expect it. So if Ed walks in next week with a royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold on his head, with a garment of fine linen and purple. Just this color. All right, we'll get you a leather jacket that's purple and white. Now we come to Esther chapter 9. See, it doesn't stop here. Verse 4, and Mordecai was great in the king's house. We See, we saw how much Haman was exalted about three times from that 
for scripture, but now it's like non-stop. Haman, I mean, Mordecai keeps increasing. He keeps increasing. It, and he's wearing, he's already wearing royal garments, a garment of fine linen, and he's wearing royal apparel. It doesn't make sense to me. And for the last three weeks, I've been asking the Lord, Lord, what is going on here? Because I can't get my attention off of what's taking place with Mordecai. And I, I did not have the answer until, until until Saturday when I was preparing for tonight's teaching. I was, oh Lord, what is going on here? Because there's something here you're trying to teach your people, but I don't get it. Because it, it looks like God is overdoing the promotion that he's given to Mordecai. And if something's repeated more than once, we need to pay attention. But this has been repeated many, 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 many times. It just keeps getting, getting exaggerated. He's getting th these garments and these other garments. And he's being promoted and he gets the king's ring. And it, it just he's promotion after promotion after promotion. Yeah. And then in verse 20, actually verse 4, it says, For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. So was Mordecai promoted a little bit? No. A medium amount? No. A great amount? Yes. Or a lot greater amount? Right. Exactly. A lot greater amount. So Mordecai wax great, and I did, I did a little bit further research, and just did a just did a word count. The name Mordecai is mentioned seven times in Esther chapter nine. That's a lot of times. Now, what do the feasts? Now we're going to go back to the bridge. What do Purim and Passover commemorate? What are the? Let's start with the similarities. What is similar between Purim and Passover? Would you say divine deliverance is a commonality? Answer is yes. So that we see occasions of divine deliverances. We see God's intervention. But there, even though we see tremendous miracles in both feasts, their stories are extremely dissimilar. In Pharaoh, in in in. In Pharaoh's Egypt and Haman's Persia, so both in the, the Purim story, which is Haman's Persia, and in the Passover story with Pharaoh's Egypt, both uh, in both incidences, the Jewish people faced pending annihilation. But that is where the similarity ends. They're similar in that they both received tremendous deliverance. They're similar in that they both experienced tremendous miracles. They both were under the threat of, of annihilation, the threat of genocide. But the way the deliverances took place were different because the path of freedom were quite different. So now let's go to Purim. Let's go back to the 12th month. In ancient Persia, do we see the Jews living in Persia as slaves? Do we see them under a cruel taskmaster like Pharaoh? Not at all, right? In, in ancient Persia, the Jews enjoyed religious freedom, prosperity, acceptance in, the, in society. They were, they were even, even invited to the royal feast in King Ahasuerus' court. So, so they, they were all having a good time. And they were having tremendous, tremendous success in business. And they integrated very well into the Persian society. And the book of Esther can be read as a, as, a, as, a, as a story of palace intrigue. It's a very interesting story to read. Whether, whether you're a Jew or not, whether you're a believer or not, it's a very interesting book to read. Yeah. And some of you may read it like a Hallmark story or a Disney story. So there's something in it for everybody. But in truth, the miracles that take place during Purim in the book of Esther have carried very deep significance. And in, in, in some ways, even deeper than the miracles of Passover. During Purim, we see God's divine miracles occurring within the rules of nature. Now, during Purim, we don't see God commanding. We don't see somebody like Esther or Mordecai commanding the sun to stand still. We don't see Mordecai raising the rod and, 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 and watching God split the Red Seas or the Sea of Reeds. We don't see an open demonstration of God's power. We don't see manna falling down from the sky. We don't see all those miracles in the open. But see, what God does in Purim is he, he, walks behind, he works behind the scenes. 
So when you look at nature, the day is still 24 hours. We still see sunset, sunrise. Everything seems to be walking, moving by the rules of nature. We don't see Newton's laws being violated. We, we, we don't see Einstein's laws being violated. We see everything moving according to the laws of nature. But yet God is intervening behind the scenes. It would be like having your child walk into the house just messing everything up and throwing this on the floor and throwing the jacket on the floor and you as a mom and dad walking behind your child picking everything up and cleaning up after your child because you're moving behind the scenes without your child even really paying attention. So, but, and, and God is cleaning up our mess. God is cleaning up the mess of our ancestors. God is cleaning up the mess of uncle so-and-so. God is, clean, God is putting the pieces back together. And he's putting, he's putting you right position, putting everything right in the right order, setting you up for promotion. Amen? And for your enemies to fall beneath your feet. So that, that, that is past, that is Purim, again in another nutshell. Now let's go to Passover. Now in contrast to Purim, to ancient Persia, in Passover, or I should say in Egypt, the Jews were condemned to an existence of slavery, and they were at the mercy of an evil tyrant in the Egyptian exile. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. I want you to read this in a different light. Exodus chapter 1. Right, Exodus chapter 1, and I'll have the verse for you in just a second. And I, I, want, I, like, I like the King James reading of this verse. Esther chapter, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. And, and let's read this together. 1, 2, 3. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now, I want you to read this verse with the eyes of anti-Semitism. You know, if there, you know, let's say there's a car that you don't like, and there's a certain model of a certain manufacturer of a vehicle that I personally detest. And I might see one or two of them on the road as I'm driving to, to anywhere. But you know what? In my mind, I'm saying the land, the freeway is filled with a certain model of car. And I hate this car. And the freeway is filled with them. Am I speaking about that car in a positive light? It's negative. I want you to read this verse of Exodus in the same manner. It's because when you hate a people, even one is too many. And what we see in this verse here is probably the very first, one of the first references in the Bible to anti-Semitism. We see Pharaoh's hatred for the Jewish people. So, yes, a miracle is taking place, and yes, they are multiplying, but also I want you to see the mindset of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh masterminded this plan to subjugate the Jewish people, and, and, and so he, 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 um, and he's saying that the, the reason for our troubles is because of the Jewish people. That's basically what he's saying. And when they become strong, they're going to partner with our enemies, and they're going to oh, they're going to attack us. This is all fabricated. The Jewish people would not do that. And a similar thing was happening under the Nazi rule in Germany and in the Eastern European nations. Hitler made it look like the reason the reason for our economic downfall was because of the Jewish people. That was nothing but a fabrication. There was no truth in that. But the people bought into this lie. And, and the, the Egyptian society brought, were bought into the lie of Pharaoh. So I, 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 want, I want you to see that. So that's, that's, the, that's what's taking place in Passover. Because during Purim in Esther, we're seeing that the, the Jews are enjoying the good life. And they're prospering in Persia. Yes. But in contrast, in, in Egypt, the Jews are suffering. And they're under cruel subjugation to, to Pharaoh and, and the Egyptian taskmasters or the princes. And the, in, in Persia, were the Jews prospering? Very much so, right? Yes. But in Egypt, 
the Jews' social and economic status was an all-time low. Yeah. The Jewish society had a caste system. And in that caste system, Pharaoh was at the top. Well, guess what? The Jews were at the bottom of that pyramid. They were, they were at the bottom of Egyptian society. And, what, and the way God intervened was through the open miracles. And one reason why God performed these open miracles, that God was trying to call Pharaoh to repentance. But Pharaoh's heart became harder and harder and harder. I mean, imagine God inflicting ten plagues upon the land and the sea. Then we see the splitting of the Red Sea. We see the destruction of Egypt was swift and and it was, it was very, very quick. And we see that everyone recognized the hand of God. Yeah. In fact, the miracles were so great, many Egyptians converted to monotheism, and they left Egypt with the Israelites. Yeah. Even after the, during the miracles of Purim, the fear of God fell upon the Persians, and many Persians converted to Judaism. Amen? And we have many Jews in, in, in Iran as well. Because of what took place in Purim. So when we celebrate these two holidays, we celebrate we celebrate Purim, we celebrate Passover. We don't celebrate like we're having a party. When I say celebrate, we're having a holy convocation. When I say holy convers holy convocations, I'm saying that you are entering into the miracles as well. Amen. You are entering into the breakthroughs as well. You're entering into the deliverances as well. Amen. Is there a child or some, a loved one in your family that's just bound to drugs and drugs or alcohol or any form of addiction? Guess what? I encourage you to, during these feasts, is to ask the Lord to bring the breakthrough in their lives. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Allow God to move either behind the scenes or through open miracles. Just allow God to work and allow God to bring the deliverance. Allow God to bring the salvation. If there's someone you know suffering from demonic possession, may this be a season in which God is going to break that demonic oppression off their lives. Amen? So celebrating these two holidays so close to each other emphasize that miracles work both without and within nature. Now, let me ask you a question, and this is something I hear, I've seen many people struggle with. If, if I'm sick, or somebody you know gets sick, should they, should they just g g um, believe God to heal them and never go see a doctor? Or should they go see a doctor? Exactly, I think you all agree, right? They should go, we should all go, use the doctor. And, and that's the teaching of the rabbis as well, is use everything in the natural means as well. But at the same time, we trust God to perform a miracle. His open miracles. God may perform a hidden miracle and masquerade it and say, it's because of that, it's because of that antibiotic that you're getting better. And yes, maybe the antibiotic helped, but it was God moving behind the scenes that brought that miracle. And at the same time, you've done everything you know how to do in the natural, and the, heal the healing has not come forth yet. Well, guess what? Allow God, trust God, and faith comes by hearing the word of God and allow God to bring that healing supernaturally through an open miracle. So God's going to work in your life through hidden miracles and open miracles. I welcome both types of miracles in my life. And I, I'm sure you do as well. That you just allow God to work behind the scenes and in the forefront. But always remember, it's God that, that wrought the miracle. Amen? And let us always be grateful that God is always moving around us. He's always moving. Whether we see his hand or we don't see his hand. He's always moving. Amen. Now, we saw the increase, the ascent of Mordecai. And we also saw in the beginning how, how Mordecai decreased. And then he increased, right? Yeah. I also taught you that the miracles of Purim are reversible because of the teeter-totter principle. But the miracles of Passover are, ir are irreversible. Yeah. That means there's no undoing. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I'm going to talk to you about the Son of God for a moment. And I'm, that's what we're going to conclude with. Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself 
took part of the same. So Jesus took on a human body with flesh and blood. That through death, he might destroy him that had power over death. That is the devil. Mm. So the question you may ask is, why was the Son of God manifested? The answer is in 1 John 3, 8. For he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Amen. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many of you want everlasting life? Amen? Amen? Well, here's the answer. That you believe in him. Amen? That you will not perish. Through accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, one thing about Jesus is as we see with parallel through Mordecai, is that Jesus had to decrease as well. Yeah. He humbled himself and took on the form of a human. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Yeah. He took on human flesh. He lived the life of a servant. He wasn't born in a king's palace. He, cho- he chose the life of a lowly servant. He was despised. He was rejected, as, as Isaiah 53 tells us. And Isaiah tells us that he was born of, through virgin birth. And then look what he does. Thou hast ascended on high. That's Jesus. He ascended on high. Parallel through Mordecai. And he led captivity captive. He, he received gifts from men. So all the gifts that we have, the gifts of salvation, the gifts of healing, the gifts of deliverance. Every, deliver, every gift is from, is from him. Then Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 say, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he let, oh, we read that one already. Acts chapter 9, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. Would you say Jesus ascending from the ground, going into heaven, was a clo- was a hidden miracle or an open miracle? Open, right? It was an open miracle that all saw. Because the, the miracles that take place during Passover are open miracles. Jesus ascended into heaven. Because Jesus, he was crucified. He was His body was placed in the sepulcher. Jesus descended into the dead. He, is, he descended into hell. On the third day, also during Passover, he rose from the dead. Then on the 40th day from ascension, he ascended into heaven. Amen? Amen. So he, 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 he went to the very depths of hell, and he ascended to the very heights of heaven. Hallelujah. Amen? Let's give the Lord the praise. Amen. And that is the conclusion for tonight's teaching, is that Jesus is, uh, is all in all. He, God the Father has given him all authority. All authority. Everything is the subjection to the, uh, is under the feet of Jesus. And that's why we see the ascent of Mordecai and the descent of Haman. It's a prophetic parallel to what Jesus would do. And Jesus swallowing death up. Completely swallowing death up. And the miracles of Passover are irreversible. Because Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered death. Amen? Amen. And in him are the fulfillment of all scriptures. And he's he's the savior of the Jews first and then for the Gentiles. Amen? Amen. And we we serve a Jewish Jesus. You cannot extract the Jewish DNA out of the blood of Jesus. There's Jewish blood running through his veins. And salvation is of the Jews. That's what Jesus taught to the Samaritan salvation is of the Jews. So some things we we must never forget about. And the day will come when Yeshua will reveal himself to the Jewish people. And at that time, right before that time, the the, the dispensation of the Gentiles will come to an end. And I tell them, we are living in a glorious time. We are living in the generation that I believe is going to see the second coming of Christ. We are living in a generation... Where we will experience the rapture. 
And I'm so excited for his second coming. Amen. And I'm so excited to see all of you come into the fullness of your calling in Christ Jesus. God has a calling and a destiny and a purpose for every one of you. And I encourage you all, don't let your pursuits be for material wealth. That stuff will come to you. Don't worry about that stuff. Pursue his kingdom first. Amen. Put his kingdom first. Put God's work first. And doing God's work is not only performing religious works. I'm telling you, tutoring children is, is a godly work. Yes. You know, just helping others with their education, help, uh, um, speaking out against abortion, I mean, all uh, speaking out against euthanasia, and voting for the, right, for, the, for the right things. These are all acts of righteousness. It's not just the religious things that count. It's that everything in life, everything we do in society should be for the right reason. Amen? And that we propagate the will of God in the earth. And with that, I invite you to stand. And let, let's just begin to praise the Lord. Let's just begin to worship Him.